Hey, thanks for being with us. This is the On Fire podcast brought to you by NBC7 with Derek Togerson for the first time in what feels like about a month or so. I mean, it's, been it's been a while, hasn't it? Since we've connected on one of these. Um, both had some days off here and there. And um, yeah, it's, you know, it's it's always nice checking in with folks like Scan, last week, Brett Boone. Um, and especially now at this point in the off season, you know, when we're in the season mode, the, the shelf life of some of these episodes kind of comes and goes because we're keeping track of the action. But right. the, the fun part of this time of year is you can always circle back to episodes like last week with Brett Boone, a couple weeks ago with Todd Strain. Um, you know, you guys heard from AJ Preller a couple weeks ago, Bob Scanlon, you know, his take on the season. And um, so that's that's kind of the mode we're in is uh, assessing where the Padres are at after this 2020 season and what's ahead with free agency. We're going to get into that. We're going to get into some of the awards chatter um, as well. Um, first off, thanks to OG celebrating their 30th anniversary this year. All locations have enhanced patio dining for guests, adding space, tables. Some have even added outdoor TVs. They've got new menu items. Maybe you want to check out the short rib poutine, fries, jalapeno cheese sauce, braised short rib, beer gravy, pickled red onions, and green onions. And Have me a braised short rib. <laughs> in, in times where lots of people are stress eating, that sounds like the type of thing that uh, would, would be appetizing right about now. Yes. Um, you know what else sounds good? A beer to go. OG's is doing that as well. So think of OG's, whether you want to come in for a bite or for takeout and delivery. Thanks to OG's, all they do for the On Fire podcast. And uh, again, Derek, good to, good to be with you. Good to be talking Padres with you for the first time. I feel like it's for the first time since we wrapped the Dodgers series. I don't know if we've... Had yeah, I think one. so, actually. It's, and we might have gotten one in during the NLCS. Um, but yeah, not the whole world series. I think it was uh, Todd and me and then you and scan and then uh, Brett and me. And, uh, now, yeah, now, now, now we got the band back together. <laughs> um, so I figured, you know, with, with free agency officially starting, um, I guess a little less than a week ago, a few days ago, um, that would be a good place to start at, at this point in the season and in what figures to be a bit of a strange climate for free agency, um, you know, vintage 2020, just because of the circumstances and, um, you know, teams' budgets being tighter than they normally would be, um, and just kind of the, the looming uncertainty. Uh, how, you, and, you and Brett discussed this a bit last week, uh, just how different the market could be. Mm-hmm. You know, he made a good point in that, you know, guys like Trevor Bauer are probably going to get Trevor Bauer type money. They're, they're going to get paid. Yeah. Pretty close to it. Um, but it's the, the trickle down the the next tier of guys and, and beyond that, that will probably be impacted by, um, you know, while it's being a bit tighter than they would normally be. And the thing that we kind of brought up too, is it just takes one owner. It just takes one, the thick pocketed, you know, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Dodgers, and Angels, insert name of team that we know has a whole lot of cash here to say, you know what, we know we can corner the market. So we're going to go ahead and blow it all out because we can absorb that kind of financial blow that it just takes one of those to do it. And we don't know if that's going to happen this year. And I tell you what, Scott Boris is going to have a huge say in this, like he usually does, but Will he be 
uh, more, I know he'll be conscious of it. Will he be more willing or apt to give teams a break? Will we see a, a series of one-year deals like Trevor Bauer talks about this year instead of the longer-term contracts because they do want to be able to get, get, the, get the coffers filled up again after COVID and get you know, fans in the stands. We don't even know if we're going to have fans in the stands next year right mm -hmm. now. So I, I would find it highly unlikely that a lot of teams will go out really breaking the bank for a, a long-term contract like a Mookie Betts type of deal. So I could see a lot of one and two year contracts, maybe slightly shorter, and then let guys go out and get all the big money after the 2021 season that they, that they maybe would have gotten had we been in a normal year this year. Or it could always be completely normal and we just move along like we're all supposed to be moving along. It's, it's gonna be really, really fascinating to see what happens here. And, you know, so much of it depends on the player, right? Because I mean, again, a guy like Bauer is probably gonna get paid. If, if, you're, uh, if your stock is high, maybe you're less likely to do one of those one-year prove-it type deals. But if you are a guy that happens to be a free agent this year that, um, you know, hasn't had that notable of a season whose market is fairly average, maybe you do just take that one-year prove-it deal, hope you put together a good year and hope there's a little bit more money in the market. And so that's something that, um, you know, I think there will be more variance there just in terms of, how these guys are valued and each player's approach to the market, because it's not one of those off seasons where there's a ton of money out there. Everybody wants to get paid. Everybody's, you know, gunning for, you know, more of a substantial deal um, might not necessarily be the case for a lot of guys who, like you said, figure, let me just get what I can get for a year or two. And then um, when, when owners are more willing to pay, um, hopefully I've done enough to, to earn a, you know, more, uh, more meaningful salary. Yeah, some guys, they, they could do a one-year deal and, and still have it be, you know, based on their reputation, they will still be able to get a, a long-term contract even after this year. So for, for guys like, like a Trevor Bauer, let's use him as an example, who has talked about, I'll do one-year deals. I'm totally cool with that. Maybe he goes out and says, you know what, I'll take a one-year deal at 19 million bucks you know, something that's going to be under market value for him, but he knows that there's not a whole lot of money out there knowing that next year, he's still going to have a Trevor Bauer type year. He's been incredibly durable. Okay. I'm now going to get my, my, my big contract after that. It's more like a, just kind of a, 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 a gap, you know, a bridge the gap kind of year so that they can then get baseball's finances somewhat back to, I don't want to say normal because baseball finances are never normal, but as normal as, as they can be in this game and then start having the money fly around. You're not going to see an Eric Hosmer contract. This, mm. this year. I don't, it, I really don't think there's anybody who, even though there are guys who are, are worthy of it, I would be highly doubtful that one of those is going to be available after a season we just had and the uncertainty moving forward. So none of the guys from the Padres who are on the market are, you know, uh, eligible or, or, or in line for, for that type of deal. They're not really necessarily in that conversation in terms of, um, that sure thing, big money, you know, it's more so the types of guys that are in those lower tiers that um, probably take whatever they can get and maybe more apt to, to sign a shorter deal. Um, oh yeah. The biggest contract talk this offseason for the Padres will be a guy who doesn't even need a contract. And that's <laughs> Fernando Dodgers right. Jr. You know, is, is he going to get his extension, which I, I mean, it's possible, but after, you know, with COVID, I would, I could see them waiting a little longer. You've, you've got, you've got company today. I don't think wow. they agree with that take. They, they don't. You know, the dogs always think they know more about baseball than I do. And they hear one voice outside and it's just like, oh, I'm going to go try and play with all of them. 
Ah, oh, yes, life, life doing work when you're at home, folks. Yep. Ah, yes, isn't it? Isn't it lovely? The, I was wondering if you could hear the trash truck in our alley because um, it's uh, clearly audible from where I'm sitting. I wonder, you know, with the Tati situation, d does he hold off just because maybe the the value of the long term deal wouldn't be this year what it might be? a year or two from now because he, they're not up against the clock. They certainly want to secure him. Do you think there's any, um, uh, fr from his standpoint, any reason to maybe, maybe hold off and, and milk as much out of it as you can? It's possible. Um, but I think there's also the, the knowledge that he's a guy who's going to be around for the next decade and the Padres want him around for the next decade. So they could very easily you know, structure the contract where it is, 240 million over 10 years but the first you know two yeah, first year is seven million and then yeah. like the last year is 48 million insert number here you know like an albert pujols kind of contract you know like they they could do something just throwing around you know random numbers just to make a point they, they could structure something like that um so i i don't think that'll have as big a uh an impact on his contract talks as it would maybe some other guys, because this is a guy that we know, we know what he is. We know what he's going to be. We know he wants to be, we know the Padres want him here. We know this is the face of the franchise, if not the league right now. So th th this is a guy who's going to be around. So it won't be as big an impact on what he gets as it does maybe some of the, uh, some of the other folks. So let's go through the Padres and the guys that are on the market and what, what we think the team's approach will be. And just in terms of priority, um, you know, who are the guys they would like to, to keep around? They opted not to pick up the club option on Mitch Moreland, who's mm -hmm. due 3 million. And then maybe that's just the type of situation where we're like, well, maybe we can shave a little bit off that number. Who knows? We also don't um, know if we're going to have a DH next year or not. Which, yeah, uh, a huge factor as well. Um, and you know, a guy that had a great start to the season with the Red Sox, but hit, what was it, 203 or something like that um, with the Padres. And, and so I don't know, what do, do you see that as, you know, thanks, thanks for playing, um, moving on or? Well, it was a, it was a $3 million option. Um, I think they probably would very much be interested if there is a DH in the National League. And this is where Major League Baseball, again, is screwing everybody up mm -hmm. because we need to know what the rules are. You know, no one in the National League is going to go after Nelson Cruz, who's also a DH, if they don't know if they're going to have a designated hitter or not. If not, he stays in the American League. And that eliminates half of the teams in baseball who would even be interested in thinking about signing him. Baseball needs to put, say, okay, this is what we're doing. So everybody can operate on the same rules. Because I guarantee you there's a lot of teams in the National League who would love to have a bat like that to be able to insert in their lineup. Because last year they just weren't equipped. Not all teams were equipped to have a guy like that to just be a bat. You know, it's something that the, the baseball is always doing wrong. The timing of everything with that, with the sport, it drives me nuts every single year. Uh, but I think if it's a $3 million option, they could come back to him and say, Hey, you know what? We'd like to get you for two years and 7 million. So actually he's making more money in that, in that situation. We don't know. We, they could say, you know, we're, we don't want him on this deal. We want him on a different deal. Maybe it's, Hey, well, we'd like you for two and a half million because of what the finances are. Do you like being here? We'd love to have you here. Uh, or he could go and find, you know, something more lucrative, you know, elsewhere. But um, that, that's one of those that is, 
looking at the size of, of the option, it's probably a, hey, we'd like to keep you. Maybe we just need to kind of fudge a few numbers here and there. It's not like it was a $10 million option. There's no chance in hell he's coming back. You know, it's not like it was a $1 million option and it's a, okay, well, of course we're going to keep him because a million bucks is a pittance in Major League Baseball even today. Yeah, it is pretty insane that Major League Baseball would say, okay, now you guys get to start money and, and planning for your season, but we we're not going to tell you what the season looks like. <laughs> and then here's the thing, they can't tell us what the season's going to look like, but they can tell us what positions they're going to have. Right, right. You know? No, I mean, yeah, you know, start date, number of games, obviously, you know, fans, all that stuff. But something like the DH isn't dependent on the state of the pandemic in March. <laughs> Correct. It is simply, did we like it this year? Yeah, we liked it. And I'll tell you what, it worked better than I ever would have thought it would have worked, especially yeah, when I the Padres are, are involved, uh, are concerned. And I used to hate the DH. And I've grown to really, really like the DH because I got to watch David Ortiz's career. And I got mm. to watch, you know, Edgar Martinez's career and Harold Baines's career. I'm like, they would not have been the guys that they were had it not been for the DH. So why not? And this is why I don't get where the Players Association hasn't put their foot down on this. You are giving more guys more jobs longer by mm. having a DH. It's, it's, it, it makes no sense to me why they haven't done this a long time ago. Yeah. Um, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And yeah, as, I mean, I, I grew up in, in a National League town watching National League baseball and, uh, you know, one, one season of the Universal DH was enough to convince me that um, I don't need to see, you know, uh, Chris Paddock at the plate again. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's the thing is uh, on any given night, would you rather see, um, say, let's say like who was, who was playing DH a lot for him? Uh, I got, would you rather see Will Myers at the plate or Zach Davies at the plate? Yeah. I'll take the former. Thank you very much. Yeah. Jerickson Profar or Garrett Richards. I'll take Jerickson Profar. Yeah. Um, the, is, is the, Mentioned Profar, because there was some. He's a free agent. Well, when when we were getting into the postseason, um, and we were trying to figure out lineups and that sort of thing, it, there there was a point where it was like Profar or Moreland, um, and I really like Profar. I think he's a great fit with this team. I think that this team. I mean, how many times have you heard uh, AJ Preller mention versatility? Mm -hmm. He's a guy that certainly showed that this year. He came up in some big moments. Um, from a personality standpoint, I think he's a great fit. Um, oh, it fits in great in that clubhouse. He and Tatis are buddies. They've yeah. known each other a long time. He, Profar, he, he's one of those kind of, uh, you know, just j j happy, joyful energy kind of guys. That is, it was really nice to see him get that back after the, the injuries yeah. kind of derailed his career for a while. I, I would love to have that guy back on the right deal. And I would, I would assume that he would really want to come back. Um, so he's a guy I would be disappointed if, if they let him walk and, and, you know, maybe he did enough this season to earn some attention and, and some money from somebody. Um, and we know AJ loves him. Going back to those you know, Ranger days. Yeah, yeah. He has a kinship for him. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. So, I mean, of all the guys, I, like, who, who would you put? I don't know if Profar would be necessarily number one on my list because you have Yates and Rosenthal sitting right there. And I, so I figure it's one of those guys. But I think right behind them for me is jerks and profile just because the personality point um just a good clubhouse guy you mentioned the rela relationship with tatis and what he did on the field i mean the, the bat was slow to start the season but ended up putting together a good season a good season for them um came through in some big moments and he's a guy that just he's able to answer he's able to solve a number of problems for you tommy fam is out for a month 
it's cool we got jerks and profar and by the time tommy fam was healthy people were like well do we do we play him you know because his profile guys doing all right. yeah yeah and that that actually was was made possible by the arrival of jake cronenworth because mm-hmm. profar was supposed to be the second baseman and cronenworth went and ripped that job from him he, he was playing so darn well after they and it was actually it was interesting because it all started when eric hosmer had his um uh digestive tract problem right and it was in Cronenworth went to first and he started hitting and he didn't stop hitting for about a month and a half two months and so they're going well we can't take him out of the lineup we can move him over to second base hey uh Jerickson can you can you go play some left field for us yeah why not so he since they had somebody who was able to handle second base their lineup got stronger by being able to move pro far to left and it was once he got to left field he started hitting Hmm. He, I don't know if it was just so, some like change of scenery, change of position for him to kind of loosen him up or, or what. But once he got out there, man, he started hitting the ball a lot better. And I will give him all the credit in the world. People think, oh, just move, just move him to the outfield. You know, just move him. He's athletic. Move a guy to the outfield. It, it, it's harder than people think to go out. And when you really haven't ever done it, especially at the big league level, to go out and play the outfield in a major league baseball game and he handled himself for the most part really really well and seemed to get better as the year went on he put a lot of work into learning that spot so I I give him a ton of credit for being able to do that and there was the talk you know before last season about his throwing from second base and maybe having the yips and we never saw anything to indicate that that was an issue um so I mean I the the other thing too is you know I I think we all believe in Jake Cronenworth at this point I don't you know don't get me wrong but First year player, small sample size in terms of the season, did tail off a bit during the regular season, um, had some good moments in the postseason, uh, but maybe some insurance just in case Cronenworth comes back and, and struggles out of the gates or whatever. You have a reliable guy that you can throw out there that, um, again, can, can solve another potential problem just in the event that Cronenworth doesn't play to the level we saw him at the season. I don't know. Yes, yeah, I would put him third, just like you do. Garrett Richards would be fourth for me. Okay. Um, I think then you, what you have is you have one and one A at the top in Yates and Rosenthal. Right. Because, man, we know what Kirby Yates is when he's healthy. And he's, you know, he was the best closer in baseball in 2019. And then the bone spur popped up, and that was what was causing his problems in, in 2020. And he was still at times very effective. Rosenthal, crazy about this guy he was the closer for the 2013 national league champions pitching in the world series he was an all-star in 2015 has tommy john surgery in 2017 takes a while to get back signs a minor league contract with the royals before 2020 pitches his way onto the team gets pitches well enough to get traded to the padres lights out with the padres 10 scoreless appearances he had one little hiccup in the postseason but he was absolutely stellar in the time that he was with San Diego. And he loves being here. We've talked to him. He's, he really likes this clubhouse. He likes the city. He wants to be around. And now at the age of 30, by the way, no reliever averaged, no relief um, free agent averaged better than his 98 mile per hour average fastball velocity. So you want a live arm? This is your, your, your quintessential live arm. So if you want to get a really, really strong bullpen, which the Padres obviously do, and, they, and they've talked about this, why not get both? Because you can get at 30 and then Kirby is 34. You can get both of these guys on shorter term contracts, especially, I mean, Rosenthal will probably right now be even more expensive than Yates is with Kirby coming mm-hmm. off the injury. And both of them love it here. And both of them want to be here. And I can, just from talking to him, I can pretty much guarantee that neither one of those guys would be like, no, I'm the closer. 
and they, and they have to be that guy. You know, they would be okay with handling eighth, ninth inning, and it'd be one hell of a battle to watch during spring training, wouldn't it? Those yeah. two dudes going out there trying, trying to win the closer job while the other guy handles eighth inning duties. But you, you want to talk about turning a game into a, a six-inning affair. Man, having those two horses at the back end, because then if you're playing three straight close games, you don't have to worry about Kirby or, or Trevor going out there three times mm -hmm. in a row. You just put the other one in the closer's role. It gives you so much flexibility with the back end of that bullpen. I would love, love to see both of those guys come back. Now, they both have pitched well enough to earn a lot of money. Will they get it during COVID? That I'm not sure about, but it would, it's, I guarantee it was something that AJ Preller was looking very strongly at and wants to try and pull off. You know, Kirby obviously is beloved by the team. I mean, you saw it when they're celebrating on the field and they bring out the cardboard cutout of Kirby, <laughs> you know, which is making appearances through the course of their run and um, has obviously meant a lot to this team and was the best closer in baseball in 2019. Um, and so just from like a continuity standpoint, um, it would be hard to see him go. What I love about Rosenthal is like, he so obviously wants to stay in San Diego. Mm -hmm. You can see it on Twitter. Um, he's always tweeting about it. Um, and I don't know, in this day and age where you have so many athletes, you know, playing the game, playing hard to get, being coy, this or that, it's kind of refreshing and fun just to have a guy that like gets traded midseason, spends like a month basically with the team, you know, falls head over heels for the city and for the fan base and makes it pretty clear like this is where I want to be. Um, but the, yeah, the question is, it'll come down to, can you keep both? Can you keep somebody else from, you know, snagging one of those guys? Um, how does the money work? And, you know, I, I know Kirby's, Kirby's a salty competitive guy too. So I, there's this part of me that wonders like what that he is team first. So I'm, you know, it's not necessarily like an ego thing, but Kirby's got an edge. And so part of me would wonder how that would play out if it were a situation where um, both guys are there vying for the job and, you know, Tingler's in a, in a position to decide which, which horse he wants to ride in those late game situations. I don't know. I, I don't think it would go. I don't think it would be completely without any sort of friction would be the wrong word, but um, you know, the, the temperature might rise a little bit more in the bullpen than you might expect. Which, which I think is a good thing. You know, like I said, you, that competition in spring training would be bonkers. Wouldn't it with, with the, these two guys who have had success and have the kind of success that they have had, you know, most, most recently while, while healthy, Man, that would be, oof, that would be solid. That would, that also, would be solid. That, that's also a potential asset come the trade deadline. You know, if, if you're if things go sideways, where, yeah. Well, if the season goes sideways or, you know, if, if they're competitive, but, you know, if there's an injury, a hole to fill, if, if you feel like, hey, we got two reliable closers, both guys are healthy, um, you know, if guys like Pomeranz, Pagan are, are pitching to their capability, then you might feel comfortable parting with one of them to pick up a piece that might benefit you down the stretch. I don't know. Um, so everyone wants bullpen help at the deadline. That's something that is guaranteed. At the trade deadline, the one thing that you can guarantee is always going to be in demand is bullpen help. Yeah. Um, what do you – any guess what happens with Garrett Richards? 
No, not he'll get another contract somewhere. Um, I think there is a loyalty factor with him. The fact that the Padres did give him that two-year deal, even though they knew that he was coming off the of Tommy John, I wouldn't really give him anything in um, in 2019. Uh, so they basically gave him a one-year, $15 million deal for the most part. I think he he would love to stay here. I'm not sure how much they will want him back, at least as a starter. I think they really liked the way that he threw the ball out of the bullpen. So that's another guy you could be looking at as a possible signing him back or signing him as a bullpen arm. Because you know you've got now, assuming everyone's healthy, you've got Lament, you've got Clevenger, you've got Davies, you've got Paddock. Um, and then the, the, the fifth starter spot is either you go out and get somebody or you're looking at one of the, the youngsters. You know, mm. Can you stretch more a hone out? Is Mackenzie Gore going to finally figure out whatever he was not doing right at the alternate training site? Is Luis Patino the guy who takes the job? Um, it is Ryan Weathers who came up and threw really well in the playoffs for his major league debut. Is he all of a sudden a guy who thrusts himself into that fifth starter um, melee that's probably going to happen during spring training? Um, so you've got young options, young unproven, but young, extremely talented options there. Although AJ does also like to say that he, they cannot have enough starting pitchers. They want as much depth of the starting pitching spot as they can possibly find. So do you, I mean, do, do you bring him back on, on another kind of one-year deal? When he was on, he was really on. When he was off, he was really off. Um, or does somebody else come in and say, hey, we saw enough. Another team, we saw enough. We want you. You know, another thing, nobody had, of all the starting pitchers on the free agent market, nobody had the, the, uh, a faster average fastball velocity than Garrett Richards, 95 plus. So again, he's, he's got the live arm. So now he's know where it's going. But he's, he's got the live arm, and that's something the teams, they always are always going to covet in today's day and age. I guess the, the, the unknown is how would he feel about a bullpen role? I mean, it's, it's one thing right. late September going into a playoff run. I mean, your guys are going to be put in that position. Um, but can, uh, it, it, would, would he be comfortable accepting that out of the gates? If 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 he's open enough to it, maybe it's the type of situation where it can can you wait into spring training to determine what his role is going to be? I guess can can you go into it saying um, good chances of bullpen role if one of these young guys steps up. If not, and we're not comfortable throwing them out there as as part of the rotation, maybe you're our fifth guy. Um, so again that versatility piece would it also not be a little bit alarming if if one of these young guys wasn't ready to step into that role at this point given that they've now been around for in some cases two seasons in some cases this shortened season Mackenzie Gore we expected to see him this year we didn't for various reasons it sounds like it was kind of the mechanics thing and them just wanting to keep him focused on that that starter role um but would it Again, would it not be a little bit concerning if at this point one of those guys wasn't prepared in spring training to lock that position down? I would say uh, Gore would be the one because he's – we heard so much about how red he was. You've heard a guy, you know, his teammates talking about how, how good the stuff plays. Um, mm. If he's not ready to at least make his big league debut by next year – then we've got something else going on that's a problem. And, that, like, and it's a major problem. Um, Patino, I think, threw well enough. And he, when, he, when he had that one kind of you know, dicey inning in the National League wildcard series, but he got out of it. I know Eric Hosmer even said afterwards that now Patino knows how good he can be. 
And mm. that's, and that's a huge plus. Maybe he takes that and he just runs with it, you know, and he, and he becomes that guy who really attacks inside the strike zone, whenever he needs to attack inside the strike zone and stops walking. So many guys, the walks are his bugaboo because mm. I don't think he's fully figured out yet how to use his stuff to get big league hitters out consistently. His stuff's good enough to do it. He needs to mm. realize that, he, that it is good enough to do it and he needs to, to employ it inside the strike zone because it's, it's good enough to get swings and misses with or soft contact with or break some bats with. Um, Weathers, I think, is the guy who kind of shocked us all. He didn't right. pitch above Fort Wayne, you know, so he's, I think he's probably a guy who, if he's not ready, he's not supposed to be ready anyway. You know, it's um, it, Maury Hohen is a guy who we keep seeing the stuff but he mm -hmm. hasn't been stretched out. I mean, when's the last time, even in the minor leagues, he even went five innings. It's been a couple of years now. So is he a guy who you, you bring in and make him say, okay, we're going to make you throw 85 pitches and we're going to see how far that like, we're going to make you throw 90. We're going to get you through five, six innings. And then you still have, you know, Joey Lucchese is still hanging around out there in the ether somewhere. You know, is he, is he a guy who could possibly figure something out and, and come back? you know, and get, uh, and, you know, get a, a fifth starter spot pitch like he did as a rookie when he was actually, you know, pretty good for, for the most part. So they got a lot of options there. Um, and I think to answer your question, Gore is probably the one who, if he's not ready to go next year, what's, what's really going on here? Because that's, that's the guy who we were all going, oh, he's the next one up, right? He's, he's gotta be like, he's, he's ready. He's ready. We've seen it. We've seen the stuff. We've seen the numbers. We've seen the accolades in the minor leagues. Some, he, he's ready, right? And he just doesn't show up all year. So if he's not ready again next year, that'd be the guy I'd be going, okay, now I'm, now I'm scared. Joey Lucchese at this point feels to me like somebody whose name you're going to see attached to a trade for a maybe more notable player. It's kind of the throw-in guy? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say it, but um, given how this season – played out and when you have a new a new staff um you know obviously they didn't have the uh, the attachment to him or the patience with him and you know he's he's struggled for a couple seasons now so um it's hard to envision him kind of as part of the rotation in the future yeah he fell out of favor he fell out of favor fast last year and that might have been the you know product of the fact that it was such a short year and they couldn't give him the chance to figure things out maybe in a longer year they can say okay we're going to give you a little bit more time a few more starts to see if you can get this thing you know worked out mm -hmm. uh jason castro i think is the last one um and uh i you know it's you obviously have austin nola and Luis Campusano, that uh, seems to be the, the, the future there at the position. Um, room for, for Castro in a situation like that? I mean, obviously a veteran guy, you know, a, a quick study in terms of getting acclimated with the staff, um, did some good things for them. Just kind of a reliable, steady presence. Do you, do you keep a guy like that around just because of the maturity and the experience as Campusano comes along or... I guess the question is how how ready do you think Luis is to step in and and play regularly well, and, think, and share that role with Nola? Yeah, the question there is: Will Camposano be in federal prison? That's that that's good. That's going to be the problem because you I mean, you've got that much marijuana on you. There's a, there's an issue that that is is there, and it's and it's had that not happened, right? He, he was on the postseason roster. He had that one that one game where he goes one for three and he hits a bomb. First, first major league at bat. They think yeah. he can handle this. Um, yeah. And he, he would be the guy along with Nola, I think, 
ready to go. Now, Castro, I think, again, love, love the professionalism, love the guy. Um, he brings a lot of experience, a left-handed bat, which is nice. Um, he was making $8 million last year. If you can cut that, he, and he probably won't get that much at this point in his career, you know, a little bit later on. Um, if you can get him for the right price, I would absolutely love to see that guy come back. Because remember, Camposano still is young. He hadn't played above single, you know, high A ball in Lake Elsinore. He showed he could handle the major leagues last year just fine. Again, in a short, a small sample size. Mm -hmm. um, but he's, he's the guy who I think we all think is probably the future for, for the club. Because he's, I mean, like, remember I talked to him in spring training last year. And um, I, I kind of compared him to JT Real Muto. Not with, you know, the success that he's had or anything like that. But because you're talking about two-way catchers. And those guys are so – we saw Austin Hedges here for, for how long, who was – he is the quintessential defensive catcher, can't hit a lick. And then we've had Francisco Mejia, who, by the way, is still in the mix somewhere yeah. out there. Again, oh, yeah. like, kind of like Lucchese, kind of out there just in, in the ether. <laughs> what are they going to do with him who can hit, but behind the plate he can be a bit of an adventure. So Camposano, he marries those two things. He's able – he's really good at the plate and behind the plate, and they see that. Um, and he said he didn't want to be like Gia Tumor Muto. He wants to be Luis Camposano, which I thought was – I like this kid's attitude. He's got that, you know, that ball player, I'm, I, I like you, but don't mess with me or else I will try to shave my bat down and stab you in the heart with it kind of mentality. Um, the legal issue is going to possibly force the Padres to do something different than their original catching plans. Um, and maybe keep a guy like Castro around at the, again at the right price. So he's probably unlike again, again, unless some other team had just covets him that much and they go out and they throw a big deal at him or a multi-year contract, or they go get on his trail early, then he, he might be gone. Not because the Padres don't want him back or he doesn't want to be in San Diego, but because somebody else just says, Hey, we need you. Come on over here. So uh, a Mejia Lucchese trade, what, what can they get back from Mejia Lucchese? <laughs> Francisco Lindor. <laughs> Mejia, Lucchese, and a bullpen arm for Francisco Lindor. You think they'd bite on that? No. I'd like <laughs> to say yes. I'd love to say yes, but no. no. And then I know we're all joking here. Um, it's – although I saw it on – I think it was on uh, on Twitter somewhere, somebody saying that um, the, the, the Indians plan on trading him before opening day. Bob Nightingale uh, tweeted that. Oh, so it's wrong then. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. We're all good. False alarm. Sorry. I didn't realize it was him who said it. <laughs> they heard the no longer a topic. Story. Yeah, no longer a topic. He'll, he'll, sign, he'll sign a multi-year extension in Cleveland before opening day. I mean, who, who – so the, the natural question is he's, he's got one year and then um, would be eligible for free agency. Where do you play – where would you play Francisco Lindor? You can't play him at shortstop. You could have done that last year. You can't do that anymore. No. That's off the table. That's, that's completely off the table. You, that's the thing is you here's, – and here's the thing. Is there a DH? Because if there's a DH, I would be fully on board with, okay, today's starting lineup is <clears throat> Tatis at short, Machado at third, Lindor uh, at DH. Next day, it's like they just kind of move – like they move on over each time um now Lindor is at third and Machado is at short or Machado, <laughs> Lindor is at short Machado is at third and Tatis is DHing and the next day you know Tatis is at third and Lindor is at short and Machado is DHing it, it just it's just move around get him a day off 
get every day or then put one of them at second, you know, put Machado's on the right side of the infield half the time. Anyway, put, put them, uh, put one at second and give, and Cronenworth becomes your, your DH. It's, it would give you so much flexibility. I mean, it would be, it would be stupid. The kind, the kind of, can you imagine the lineup that they would run out there if they had, that and actually Brett Boone and I talked about this though what will probably happen is it'll probably be the Dodgers that get them they won't sign resign <laughs> Justin Turner and they'll just you know right. have Corey Seager or Francisco one of them move over to third base sure and then they'll be you know even better than they were this year which is a total freaking Dodger thing to do mm-hmm. which ticks me off so that might be the reason the Padres need to make the move right there is just to block LA from right somehow yeah. you know what would it take <sighs> couple prospects a, a big leaguer right now i mean those two organizations know each other pretty darn well cleveland is like san diego east at this point right yeah they've, got, they've, they've done so many deals over the last couple of years um I, it's i'm trying not to let myself get excited and talk myself into this because I I, i'm pretty sure it's not sale. going to happen i guarantee what happened is aj will call because that's what he does he calls on everybody he called on Garrett Cole last year. You know, like he checks in, he kicks the tires on everybody. Mm-hmm. He will call. And he will call Cleveland and they're like, all right, listen, I, I know I have to do my due diligence. We've helped each other out in the past. Maybe we can work something out here. But he's worth, he's due, I think, what, 20, like what, 21 million, I think is estimated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, can you do that and extend Tatis and sign a couple of relievers? It's, eh. Well, and that's the question now. Well, unless Will Myers is the guy that you send out, then which just takes us right back to now. It's no one wants to trade Will. Last year we were all trying to give him away, myself included, and now it's like, dude, keep Will in the lineup. That'd be pretty sweet, and um, and maybe you know. But then the the contracts actually would cancel each other out if that's the case. Plus, Cleveland would have a, you know a couple extra years with the guy that they get back, and they still need outfield help. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to trade Will now, but if you get you Lindor, I'd be willing to do it. I'd feel so bad for Will. I know. Poor but guy. Now, but now it would be because, like, now it would be because not just get rid of him. It would be because, hey, you know what? You're now desired, and, we can, and you can help another team and help us at the same time. He, he, he <sighs> redeemed himself in a great way this year. He did. He did. And, you know, I'm sure he'd love to be rewarded by that, by having some continuity in terms of his location and, and his future and not – have that aspect, the whole trade chatter, uh, still follow him around now, like you said, for very different reasons. Um, anything else before we get to uh, award season? Just, just go sign everybody. Sure, why not? We're, sp- we're spending Peter and Ron's money all the time anyway. Why, how much, why not? How much are they going to be willing to spend? I mean, they, they have a few off seasons where they've been pretty aggressive. Um, do, they, do they look at it now as, all right, we, well, we got the winner. We you know, check that off the list. Um, we've been pretty aggressive. And now given the financial state of, of the game, um, maybe we kind of rein it in a little bit and see if we can put together another good playoff type season before we um, write another big check. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I know a lot, a lot of the, these, a lot of these things are, I know they want bulk, uh, depth on the bench, right? Uh, which again, a guy like Profer, Greg Garcia is, you know, eligible for arbitration. Um, we love Greg. He's, you know, the consummate professional. Um, <clears throat> scuffled at times this year, but he's just a guy who's always going to be there. A great clubhouse dude. Of course, we love him. He's a local guy and he's just a, just a good person. Um, 
but then you start thinking, okay, if you do make a move for someone like a Lindor, well, then that just knocks somebody else who was starting for us right now to the bench, doesn't it? Hmm. So you, that, you just improved your bench. You just improved your depth by doing something like that. So they could look at this, man, you can look and look at it so many different ways. And that's why I think it's so cool having AJ Preller here with, as the GM is he does look at it all these different ways. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of GMs, a lot of guys that go, all right, this is kind of how we're going to build our team. And you knew what they were going to do. You knew how they would approach it, you know, what they were looking for, how they're going to go out and find it. AJ will kick over any rock. He will try any three team deal. He will, he will build a roster in so many unique ways that you really aren't sure what's, what's off the table. We know what, we know what's on the table. What's off the table. Is anything off the table with the way he's going to acquire talent, acquire players. It's, it's really been fascinating to watch how he does this and we'll probably continue to do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you'd want a guy that gets creative in times like this, and AJ, as we've seen, certainly does that. Um, all right, let's get to the awards. And um, you mentioned um, MLB's questionable decision-making. How, how about, how about <laughs> announcing the Gold Glove winners with a broadcast on ESPN on Election Day? Now... Election day is now election days, day three. Election week. Probably, probably going to be day four. Um, but I, I mean, that was unbelievable. I, I would love to. Does no one own a calendar at the Major League Baseball office. I would love to talk to somebody from like the programming department at ESPN and like wonder what their take on it was. If, if, if they just thought, well, anything we put here is not going to do much of a number, like sure. then, then show an old 30 for 30 or something like that. I don't know. It just, that seemed questionable all the way around when just do it Monday. Why didn't you just do it on Monday? I guess you're going opposite Monday. Oh, they got Monday night football. So they couldn't do it on Monday. Um, okay. But still, I, I, I guarantee Friday, you, do it on Friday. Right. I guarantee you though, that Monday night football is not going to have as many eyes on it as the election. <laughs> it right. happens once every four years it's oh it's, no because it's an espn they wouldn't want to compete against themselves as well yeah no but here but here okay how about this then what do you say you do it beforehand you take a half hour of your nfl pregame show yeah. and turn it into the gold glove show and then you can because people are going to be flipping over there just to see what's going on with football anyway steal those viewers make it the first topic from like four to four thirty pacific to seven to seven thirty yeah. eastern time do the gold glove show then and then go back into your football stuff yeah. You know, you're basically, you're, you're stealing ratings by doing that because people are going to be flipping over for the football anyway. What, why, what, 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 why? I would love to know the, the, the people that track like impressions and mentions on social media and that sort of thing. Like, I would love to know the difference, you know, uh, from having it on Tuesday as opposed to having it like a week ago on a normal day where, you're likely to get more clicks. There's likely to be more people talking about Trent Grisham or Nolan Arenado or whoever else. And, you know, on a local level, um, we didn't have a sportscast on Tuesday. Lots of stations across the country didn't have sportscasts on Tuesday. And so, you know, in, instead of the, the winners in those markets being broadcast and talked about a handful of times through the course of the evening, um, it ends up on websites and a tweet and a Facebook post here and there. Um, just the, the, 
another example of how bad they are in terms of marketing their game and, and strategically positioning themselves to make a splash and get positive attention. Rob Manfred, man, I'm telling you, he does, he cannot get out of his own way. He might be worse than Bud Selig. And I never honestly thought that I would say that about any commissioner in sports ever. He might actually be doing a worse job than Bud Selig because he is so completely out of tune with anything going on around him, anything going on around the world. It's, it's insane. I know, with that being said, congrats to Trent Grisham, who absolutely deserved to win that gold glove. You're a 23-year-old kid, and we had him on the podcast here just before the season started. I mean, he's, we knew he was going to be good defensively. I don't think anybody realized how much speed he had in center because he didn't, he didn't look like your, your quintessential speedster, right? He's, he's not built that way, but the dude can move. And he was, um, he was amazing. He was absolutely amazing manning center field for the Potter. Well-deserved gold glove. And Manny Machado, of course, is the other guy who was up for one. But he's – it's going to be renamed the Nolan, the third base <laughs> gold glove in the National League. He's, as long as Nolan Arnato has enough you know, games to qualify, he's going to win that award. There's that's just that's just the way he is. He's the best defensive third baseman of all time, and and I don't, I don't think it's, it's hyperbole to say that he is the the most outstanding defensive third baseman that baseball has ever seen, and he keeps making plays. He's going to keep winning that award. So you know, no, no nothing against Machado. He 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 would have won that in the American League. He would have won that in any other year that Arenado was not playing. It's like being a team in the Eastern Conference. You know, the previous eight or so years when LeBron was there with the Heat and the Cavs. It's just yeah, you, you feel Machado picked a, a a bad time to play third base in the National League. Exactly. You know, it's like or like when uh, when MJ was with the Bulls in the early and and then again mid to late nineties. It's like you just everybody else is playing for second place. Yeah. Um, Tatis not being a finalist. Uh, now this was a couple of weeks ago, and they 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 had announced the winners on Tuesday, but um, that was a head scratcher. Well, it shows how much there's a premium put on how well you finish a season, and that's why Manny Machado was the guy. He he finished the season much stronger than than Tatis did. Um, well, not, I'm I'm but that, okay for MVP. I'm just talking for Gold Glove. Oh, Gold Glove. Oh, okay, oh yeah, no, exactly. Yes, yeah. He didn't he lead in defensive run saved. Uh, outs above average. Outs above average. And of the guys, it was Rojas, Baez, and Swanson. Um, Swanson was the only one with a higher fielding percentage and fewer errors. Um, so yeah, all, they're they're all deserving players. But were any of them were were all three of them more deserving to be at least nominated than Fernando Tatis Jr. was? Hard to imagine. Yeah, I, I don't think I don't think so at all. That's no, right. I jumped to the um, to the MVP thing there. Um, that, yeah, that was, a, that was a head scratcher to me as well. I'm going, really? Because really? it, it's not like people didn't know about it. There was, there was a lot of talk. It was conscious effort for people to point yeah. out the fact that he got so much better on defense this year. It would have it felt like one of those years where if, he had, if his numbers were a tick below those guys, he would still be a finalist just because of the publicity he got this season. Right, so it was plus. super weird for the guy that's getting ESPN cover stories, most exciting player in baseball, MVP front runner in early September – to then get left out for after a really strong defense one of I mean you could make an argument for the best at the position just based on the numbers and so on and so forth uh to be left out was and Rojas played you know playing for the Marlins fewer games he played like 40 games yeah um and then here in the Tatis he's also he he made the plays that he's supposed to make right but he he also he didn't skimp on the spectacular plays Right. He was still out there running you know, down the left field line, making over-the-shoulder leaping grabs. 
he was still doing the amazing things with the athleticism that only he has. So it's not like he just you know, stopped getting to balls or stopped trying to cut down on his errors. He was still doing all the things he did as a rookie. He just improved on his throwing accuracy and made sure that he was, was a lot more sound with his footwork. That, that's it. He, didn't, he, he got more aggressive. You know, he got more focused. He didn't dial back. It, it, that, that one I, I don't get at all. Um, Javier Baez had eight errors, for what it's worth. But he's Javier Baez. Well, when does when does Fernando Tatis Fernando Tatis become Fernando Tatis? Well, here's the thing: it's like there's there's always with the with the Gold Glove, there's always going to be people who just they they don't the, even the voters they don't care that much about it. So they just go, oh, Bias played. Just, he's always there. Just put him in there. You know, like people really do that with the Gold Glove Award, which is stupid. Yeah, I agree. Um, the the MVP thing is is interesting, and you, you jumped ahead to that um, when they were announcing the finalists um, and on MLB Network, and they were they're chatting about it. Um, Ken Rosenthal had an interesting take. He said, "I don't I don't know if we got this right," and his argument was, you know, Machado had the strong finish, but. At that point, the Padres were already a playoff team because in large part of what Fernando Tatis Jr. did. Yes. And I think there's something to that. Um, you know, some of the, you look at average, you look at OPS, um, Machado had the better season and from mid-August on was just on a tear. Um, and, you know, September is obviously when Tatis tailed off, but I think he makes a good point in that the Padres are in that position because of what the youngster did the first, you know, 40 or so games. That was, I mean, Freddie Freeman. Yes. We talked about him. He deserves, he's probably going to win it. He deserves to be there. Mookie Betts. Yes. We've talked about They seem locked in. It seemed like those two were locked in. And then, and then which Padre is going to go. Right. Yeah. Um, and again, that just shows when people are talking about MVPs and things, there is a recency bias where they go, well, look at the way Machado finished in the Padres. I mean, obviously they didn't go clinch a playoff spot until, you know, the last weekend of the year. So obviously Machado must've been the guy, you know, carrying them. So they go, they go with Manny. And again, Manny Machado was very deserving of it as well. Um, I just, it's, it's such a great point that the way that Machado started had Tatis not done the things that he had done and they were fit. And then Hosmer was gone and they're figuring out their rotation and they had to move off of Joy Lucchese in the bullpen days. And Jace Tingler still trying to figure out his way around things. And they don't know what they have in, in Jake Cronenworth and Profar is not hitting. And Tommy Pham, you know, breaks his, his handmate bone and, and all the things that they had to, to deal with this year. And it was, it was a lot that they had to deal with and they're still there and they're still winning games because of what Fernando Tatis Jr. Did. If you want to talk about value to a team and value to a season, you will not convince me at all that anybody in the National League was more valuable to his team than Bebo was. Yeah, he is. And we, we've talked about it many times. I mean, he is the, the heartbeat, the pulse of the team as, as he goes off and they go. And, you know, I think Machado started to assume more of that, you know, this season. And I think um, – you know, you saw it in the postseason. You saw it in moments, just his ability to spark the team and, and to be that type of presence, um, taking on more of a leadership role um, as well with, with Eric Hosmer. Um, but I, I think people that observe this team, that watch this team closely, just see what impact Tatis has just with the energy, with the personality, 
um, his ability to kind of set the table in, in that leadoff role. Um, and I think that showed itself throughout the course of the season and that, you know, showed itself in terms of, you know, the fact that the Padres were in the position, it was not a coincidence, you know, that he was having this incredible start to the season. So, um, yeah, I guess you don't necessarily know how, how people are going about making these decisions. You know, it'd be interesting to see the vote from people that cover the Padres and maybe cover the National League West, or maybe even, um, you know, more regionally are aware of what's going on than folks on the East Coast that, like you said, maybe just look at the numbers. They know the name Manny Machado, obviously been one of the premier players in the game for some time now. And say, been okay, on the well, East he Coast, had, right? He was in Baltimore for all those years. Hit 300, bunch of homers, you know, let's, let's go with him. Uh, but it, it, okay. is, it is interesting because you don't have to pay a whole lot of attention to baseball this season to have heard about what Fernando Tatis Jr. was doing. And he was the, you know, uh, leading the MVP odds for a while. So it, it, it is kind of curious the way he's kind of been snubbed this postseason, given that at no point in the year was he flying below the radar. Anybody that paid attention to baseball knew about Fernando Tatis Jr. It's, it's a bit strange. And, he's, and he starts showing up on billboards. He starts showing up on national promos. He's stuff mm-hmm. like he's he's now the guy. It used to be it was like you know, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, anybody who plays for the Yankees. It was I mean those those anybody who plays for the Dodgers. And all the, those are the guys who would be in all the national promos. You never saw a Padre, not even Tony Gwynn or Trevor Hoffman. You didn't mm-hmm. see a Padre in those promos. Now Tatis is showing up as like the second dude in the whole thing, and that because that that's how much baseball understands that they they need the networks at least this is a guy who we can build around this guy's going to bring in fans bring in eyeballs bring in numbers um and, and in fact he's, he's going to be 21 years old and doing all this that's in, that's incredible and maybe there is a oh he'll have his chance he'll win plenty he's only 21 don't worry about it he'll win plenty which actually voters do actually look at with this kind of stuff too um maybe that played a factor into it um, you know you know what the the potters might want to do is start taking a a uh, a page in the Pac-12's book, start playing games at 9 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> and, and, and then they'll get more eyeballs on the East Coast. That, that you know, the noon start, start even, even before the East Coast team started. You know, yeah. why not? You see, by the way, you see that uh, Arizona State and USC are doing that? Arizona State's uh-huh. team meal is 4.30 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what the Pac-12 is doing right now to its, uh, to its student-athletes, just, just to try and get more eyeballs on the East Coast so they can, on the off chance that one of their teams actually does go undefeated, they can get them into the playoff. Because otherwise, it'll just be four, it'll be Clemson, Ohio State, and two SEC teams. Whatever you say about Rob Manfred can probably apply to Larry Scott. You know what? Why not? You know, hey, big break, San Diego is breakfast town. Sure. Breakfast at Petco Park, 9, 9 a.m. start time. Let's do it. Um, I'm worried that the Padres are going to get uh, shut out of the major awards. Cronenworth is going to win the rookie of the year. Again, we're talking about Machado. Tatis He's not going to win MVP. Didn't, Tatis, Freeman will win MVP. Cronenworth um, didn't finish as well, but he was, he was still so far and away better than anybody else throughout the entirety of the year. And then, I mean, it's a regular season award, so you can't take the playoffs into consideration. But look, it kind of proved it what he did against the Cardinals in the in the wild card round. He's going to hit well against the Dodgers as well in the mm-hmm. in the NLDS. 
he's, he's going to win. I think he's the one who is the best bet. Um, I would have said Jace Tingler, but then I know there's a lot of buzz around Don Mattingly and what the right. Marlins were able to do, um, especially given the fact that they had to play, what was it, like 52 games in 50 days or something ridiculous like that. Um, so he's, I mean, he might be the guy who, again, comes in late and, and rips the manager of the year award from, from Jace Tingler. Um, the MVP is probably the longest shot, but I think Cronenworth will win the rookie of the year award. I would, I would be legitimately shocked if that did not happen. I'm ready to be a little bit shocked by that. Or, or not ready. I guess I'm prepared to be a little bit shocked by that. You just want your Philly bone to get it, don't you? No, it's, I mean, I, 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 it's not that I want him to get it. I, and even talking, um, you know, when we had um, <laughs> playing, playing uh, fetch slash podcast. I mean, this is, this is very much the work from home edition of On Fryer. <laughs> These dogs are out of their freaking minds. Good gravy. We need to post the video of this on YouTube. <laughs> we <laughs> have the camera just, on you the whole time. It's just, just a dog comes to drop something in my lap and the other dog comes and tries to jump up behind him, behind her and bite her legs. And she then tries to wrestle with him. And then I have to throw the thing and they all go running, barking out the doors. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I love my dogs. Um, I was saying when we had Mike Petriello, he liked Devin Williams. When you look at the numbers, you know, Bohm was doing enough to, you know, rein Cronenworth in a little bit. Cronenworth at a slower September, maybe not to Tatis's level, but. Um, was better defensively. Cronenworth beyond the shadow of a doubt. In that thing, they, they, they look at offensive numbers, right? Or they look yeah. at, they, they look at the, the the offensive numbers for position players or for a guy like Williams, they look at, you know, strikeout ratio and strikeouts per nine and strikeout to walks and, and all they, nobody takes defense into account and look at how good Jake Cronenworth was playing multiple positions around the infield, by the way. Um, But you just said it, nobody takes defense into account. So that, that's my, that's my concern playing on the East coast, flashy offensive numbers, strong finish, um, for a team that came nowhere near making the playoffs. That has something fair. to do with it too. Fair, fair. Uh, no, Jake, Jake, the rake deserves it. Uh, it'd be awesome to see him get it. Um, and first time in a long time for the Padres. It would be, uh, uh Benito Santiago, right? It was the last one. 87, I think. Yeah. Um, and Tingler, you know, I wonder how many people now, if you, if you say before the season, Padres make the playoffs, win a playoff series, you'd probably think, oh yeah, Jace Tingler, obviously. But, um, but then you hear they basically had two MVP candidates, rookie of the year candidate, uh, gold glove winner, you know, Will Myers resurgence season. But how much uh, of that is because a of Young, Jace Tingler? A, a guy that was almost a Cy Young finalist. Um, yeah, yeah. There, but there's a little bit of a chicken the egg, chicken and the egg type thing. Um, I think he and the staff deserve credit for um, helping some of these guys elevate their game. But um you know, when you look at the Padres roster, you know, the, the, the ain't bare. So that might play into it as well. No, but also you look at, you have to take it into consideration too. Mattingly's been with the Marlins for a couple of years, right? Jace Tingler got to this team during a pandemic. Yeah. He didn't have a full spring training and he still put him in the playoffs. And he said that with yeah. the second best record, tied with the second best record in the national league, he put him in the playoffs, learning all of these guys in a chance where you can't be with your whole team the vast majority of the time that has to be taken into consideration, right? And he, he, and by, he put that staff together. He and AJ did. Um, he, they put the staff together where they got Bobby Dickerson and they went out and they got Wayne Kirby. They, they, and they got Larry Rothschild. They put together this group that made this team exponentially better. He has to be credited for something, for seeing the kind of staff they needed to make the team better, right? 
Well, I look of all three, I say Machado's the one that probably doesn't have any place to win. Cronenworth is deserving. Jay Stingler is deserving. Don't get me wrong. I guess I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate here and seeing, I think having seen how things went with Tatis um, and when we, you know, when we spoke to a guy like Mike Petriello and, and get getting the take of somebody, um, you know, who uh, maybe sees it a bit more big picture, it just, it set off some alarms for me. And so I, you know, there, there was a point in the season where I would have said with full conviction, Jake Cronenworth is the rookie of the year. Still deserving, had a rookie of the year season. I, I'm not convinced, though, that voters are going to give it to him. Now you're making me sick and guess this darn man. Why you got to, man, don't make me rethink this. We need one. We need one. Okay, we got to have one. And got the gold glove. We got to go. We need, we need one more. We need one executive more. Executive of the year. And it's got to be an, an AJ Owen executive of the year. There you go. Um, all right. Before we go, last and maybe the most important question. Was that Boba Fett at the end of the first episode of season two of Mandalorian? Dude, it's the actor who played Boba Fett in the prequels. So either, either John Favreau is doing the greatest end around of all time or all that fan service about Boba Fett escaping the Sarlacc is about to be part of Star Wars canon. And I honestly don't know how I feel about this. I'm very confused, but I'm very excited. Now, remind me. You played, love... Jango, you played Jango Fett. I'm sorry. I remember, remember Boba was a clone of Jango. I, I love the show. Um, have seen all the Star Wars films. Yes, I've seen all the... Oh, except for the most recent one. Um, uh, but, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't um, know. I'm not a historian of it like you are. Remind me where, from a timeline standpoint, Mandalorian is. It takes place after uh, Return of the Jedi and before um, The Force Awakens. So basically okay. between, between episode six and seven, between, okay. between the end of the original trilogy and then the beginning of the, the most recent trilogy, gotcha. that's when this all okay. sort of takes place. The Empire has okay. just fallen and they are uh, kind of trying, trying to rebuild and put all the pieces together. And so it's kind of like the Wild West throughout the whole universe. It was interesting because it, it and I saw uh, a recap that kind of mentioned it, um, it felt a bit like a mid-season episode from the first season in that it felt a little bit episodic. You're like, okay, how are we advancing the plot here? How are we really getting closer to our ultimate destination? And it was awesome, you know, great 53 minutes or whatever of entertainment. Um, but uh, then they just throw a little something at you at the end just to give you something to chew on for a week. And you know what? God bless them for putting it out once a week. Um, because my wife and I were just saying, you know, we, we, we did, I think the entire season of Ted Lasso. I don't know if you've watched that one in two nights, uh, highly, highly recommend very, very funny and heartfelt, like, um, way better than I think anybody expected. And I'd heard that going into it and still exceeded my expectations. Um, you know, if they dump whatever, eight, 10 episodes of Mandalorian. I mean, it's gone in a weekend. Um, and it'd be a fun weekend, but you know, it's, it's nice. Force us to have some patience and give us something to enjoy over a stretch of time and look forward to in, in what's been a trying year. <laughs> yeah, we, we would be gone completely useless for a day and a half if they just put all those <laughs> out there at one time. Plus, I, I, like, 
I, I don't like having to wait a full week to see the next one, but I do kind of like waiting to have to see the next one because then we can, we can sit and talk about it and go, wait a second. Yeah. And kind of go back and rethink it and then rewatch a little bit of it. But you're right. When they're, when they're going, hey, there's another Mandalorian. You're thinking, okay, it could be, it could be either the Mandalorian. See, the, the, Boba Fett right now is escaping my dogs, I think is what's happening. <laughs> um, there could, could, we heard little rumors about Tim, Timothy Oliphant playing Boba Fett and the, the armor's on set. We're going, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, hang on a second. It could be misdirection. And I see Timothy Oliphant show up in the Boba Fett armor. I'm like, wait a second. Uh-uh. That's yeah. not, he did, that's not how a Mandalorian fully dressed. And he takes the helmet off. We're like, we know that's not Boba Fett. What is going on here? Because yeah, yeah. they don't take the helmet off. So I'm like, okay, it makes sense. And that kind of totally leads you to believe that, okay, the Sarlacc for some reason couldn't digest the armor. Someone, they had the big creature that ate it and they got it out of the big creature. And, you know, whatever it is. And that's how he ended up with, with the armor because the Jawa scavenged it. Um, but then you're going to, okay, so that kind of ends that, right? There's, no, there's going to be none, none of this Boba Fett survive, the Sarlacc stuff. And then that last shot as they, as they pull out, I'm, and the second that they did that, I go, oh, no. I just got, look, I just got goosebumps. <laughs> and, and then it t- t- turns around, and sure enough, it's like, okay, great. Now I'm invested for the next month and you know, two months of my life. Got to figure out what in the world, how are they going to do? How are they going to explain that? Where has he been? What's he been doing? Why didn't he get his armor back? What is, it, it's man why didn't he go out and find han solo because they obviously have a big beef did he just mm. stay on tatooine in, in hiding does that somehow set up the kenobi series because he's supposed to be you know in hiding on uh, on tatooine and what kind of what he did in in those years after in between episode three and episode four does it tie into that that somehow it it, it it's man it's like, like is there a lazarus pit out there like from arrow who 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 knows who knows there's so many places they can go with this and i'm just i'm just ugh. so are you uh when the episodes drop on fridays yes. are they dropping at midnight like are you are you like as soon as you can possibly watch them or is it just like at some point this weekend we got to carve out an hour no my wife and i have a thing where we'll make sure because i you know i do the late show on on uh, on friday so whenever mm-hmm. i'm done with that um we sit down and we pour a cocktail and we get in bed and we watch the latest episode of the Mandalorian. No, so it's like a great yeah, way so to end a Friday night. Yeah, exactly. It's like our, our, our Friday night, you know, tradition whenever they have a new episode of the Mandalorian out. So that's, 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 that's how we kind of ingest it after we got everything done for the day, you can sit and fully focus on it, uh, which as she knows by now I absolutely need to do. And every now and then she'll like, pause it and be like hey can i ask a question because she knows to pause it she's yeah, yeah, yeah. my wife's brilliant and i go yeah what's up so i have to answer because she is kind of like you she's not the star wars historian that i am so i have to explain mm-hmm. a few things um about the canon back and forth um and then she go okay cool and then and then you know play it again and then it's and then afterwards we'll sit and we'll just go okay what just happened and we'll kind of we'll kind of talk through it it's, it's actually pretty fact that's when she saw my reaction because i literally leapt out of bed and went and i went oh it was one it was one of those like a meme kind of thing and she goes what See, happened? I, I'm like what i had no i mean i had no idea until i went and looked up a review and that's when you know the somebody had to turn the light on for me and that's when i realized that and so um yeah that was cool excited to see what so is it an old-fashioned is that the cocktail it, it depends so you know what we're doing right now actually is uh prickly pear margaritas oh yeah go over to bevmo has got some of this prickly pear uh syrup it is, we had one actually in, uh, in Tucson, which is where she was born after she grew up in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were driving through uh, Tucson, we stopped in there and we got one and we're going, dude, this is really good. So we found the syrup. Um, 
and so now we're making those and that's that's pretty solid but the old-fashioned is never far away no no always a good option all right um well this has been a fun one um good to chat with you uh as always and for the first time in a while um been fun doing these episodes and uh, we will continue to turn them out weekly Definitely check us out. Uh, Sports Wrap Football Night in San Diego, uh, running full steam. What is it? Week nine coming up on Sunday. Yeah, halfway uh, you, through. Todd, Greg, Rich. Yeah, midway point of the season. Uh, Sports Wrap at eleven thirty-five, and continue to keep track on what's going on in the Padres off season, and on the Sports Wrap page at NBC7.com. We'll keep you covered. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Johnny. Talk to you soon. See ya.